You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. 31 years after the record company rejected Electribe 101's album, Electribal Soul, Billy Ray Martin has released it to universal acclaim. It's the stuff of fairy tales and Hollywood films, with Billy Ray Martin as the protagonist in her own fascinating life story. So, Billy Ray Martin, first of all, this has been an enormous pleasure just doing the research. Wow. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you do the research into an artist, you discover parallels and places where you, your lives have crossed yeah. and experiences where they've crossed. And also through the music, mm. certain emotions and times come back up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's very touching and you're touched by it. And that was the experience I've, I've had. So I want to kick straight yeah. in and talk about the Hamburg that you grew up in. And mm-hmm. what was the ha- Hamburg like at that time? Mm-hmm. And what was the family atmosphere like? The ham- <coughs> Everybody who was there at the time or grew up in, a, in the Hamburg of earlier times will confirm what I'm saying. It had soul. <coughs> it, it was just full of soul because you had the, one of the biggest, the world's biggest harbors there and it was a time where sailors were coming from all over the world you know into Hamburg bringing their cultures bringing uh, things from overseas I mean there were there were there were weird things I mean they were bringing animals and things that nowadays luckily wouldn't be allowed you know but they they would bring whatever they thought they could maybe sell or give to people you know I mean anything at all you know really really weird and fucked up things as well and um and so but it was like interesting and strange and and bizarre and then of course you had because of that you had the whole culture of the red light district which you know was a busy time let's say you know and there was a lot of money to be made so it was also very glamorous you know and uh, the business owners there i mean uh, they were up, up to about the mid and 70s mid 80s i mean they were get, getting seriously rich you know and the pimps were legends i mean this was like an episode of you know like 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 characters out of pulp fiction Hamburg style. I mean, they were all famous. When one of them died or something, there would be like a Hollywood style burial and every uh, gangster in, in town would be there. I mean, this was like re- the real shit, you know? And so it was just so alive. And my grandmother who loved Hamburg and who loved the whole scene, um, you know, in the area we grew up in, she, made it even more exciting because she made it seem that way, you know, to me as a child, you know, she would take me on walks and, um, I mean, the Sunday walk could be literally down the Reaper barn, you know, (laughs) where some people would say, oh, you don't go there, but there was nothing seedy about it for us. It was just looking at the glamorous shop windows and, and the paintings and the drawings of ladies and, you know, so this, I mean, this was a famous, famous time. This was the, the heyday of, of uh, Hamburg Harbor, red light district, you know. So it was so full of soul. And there was this, um, there was this 
a uh, well, I wouldn't call it a shop. It was this place called Harry's Harbor Bazaar. And it was super, super famous. And it was a four-story, a, a, a small, long building, a, a four-story building that was selling things that sailors had brought. So you could find, um, like there was a floor of called the Dead Zoo. It was all taxidermied animals, you know? <laughs> so that was like weird. And the ground floor was all uh, shells and, and, you know, things from the sea. And also, um, um, what do you want to call, you know, parts from ships and, and then, um, you know, the, and, and I mean, there were even shrunken heads there from Africa and from, you know, and so as a kid, it was normal for me. Oh, a shrunken head, you know, no problem. And some people have said to me, now I know why you're so fucked up because like, you, know, you, you saw shrunken heads, you know, and I mean, people would buy that and hang it up in their living room, you know. So, <laughs> oh, that sounds really <laughs> weird. Um, but I mean, also, don't forget, you know, all the central areas in Hamburg were working class. They weren't gentrified like they are now, you know. They were interesting. They were working class areas. Everybody knew each other. You know what I mean? So there was all that. It was a real community. I mean, you're, you are from a working class family. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've read about that. And also, um, I just wondered what then did a working class family give you that has been useful in your life in your attitude in your in the way that you've worked through your life what what do you think they left you with in that way probably everything because it i don't even know if it was a process but now i'm just so proud of where i came from you know because of our you know, the whole family background, uh, being incredibly unpretentious, <laughs> that's a gift, right? So, I mean, it also leaves you with a lack of self-esteem because there's also that, well, all that stuff out there is not for us. So as a singer, because I already sang as a child, so there was the sense of, well, but I want to be on that television where those other people are, you know, and, and, and I would voice that to my family, you know, my grandmother. And my grandfather and there was a sense of no that's for other people you know so there is that but then it took me all my life to go well you know if I hadn't had to work through that that I mean I'm only now finding my my true self-esteem now I mean you know so so I think it's it's a gift but you don't necessarily know it's a gift until later in life you know that's a really interesting point because I, I come from a working class family and I have the same vision. No one in our family had been to university. No one had ever worked in, in the wider term, the arts or a creative yeah. industry. Yeah. And it did seem like an unreal thing yeah. to want. Yes. Um, and this lack of self-esteem can also be a driving force in your yeah. life. It, so it do you feel yeah. it was that? It was that. I mean, but when you're young, you kind of work through all kinds of pain. But you don't necessarily, in my case, I was never really in touch with myself, you know? I just worked through the pain blindly because that's when you do when you're young. You know, there's a lyric by the Pet Shop Boys, which, which is one of my favorite lines. We could do anything, we're fearless when we're young, you know? So we work through the pain and but we don't realize that it, there's all that pain there, you know, we just work through it, you know? So, so uh, 
I had to, you know, it, I mean, to, to say it was hard, it would, would be an understatement, you know. Um, what, what music yeah. were you around? What music did your parents play and what music was sort of played at home? I was brought up by my grandparents and they had, a, they had an Elvis collection um, and they had a Beatles collection and they had um, German Schlager music, of course, you know. So I would listen to anything on the radio, anything that was on the radio I knew. And that would be my education. But then also the direct, they had this like, uh, I think there were 10 inch records at the time, right? And, and seven inch records. So they had all that. So I grew up with a bit of history there, you know, which, uh, and the Beatles were still big when I grew up as well, you know, I mean, it wasn't like they were gone at all. And, and especially because they become famous in Hamburg, um, they were so very present, you know. Um, Didn't so your mother up, work at the Star Club? She worked at the Star Club and at the top 10 after that. I can never uh, remember the sequence of it, but I think the top 10 was the after the, the Star Club. Yeah, she, she knew the Beatles. She, she knew them briefly when nobody, you know, knew who they, they were just a band playing. And that's why my mother ended up staying uh, a waitress in the work in the red light district because she wanted to be around music that would, that's what it was initially about for her um, and so she just stayed on and then later kept you know her entire life and she worked in the in the red light district so did my aunts and my uncles and my stepfathers and my, you know so it's like a real um yeah so, and, and to this day, I mean, the, the, those are the types of characters I write about, you know, in case I mean, anyone's sounds... wondering. <laughs> well, it's also a very sort of streetwise type environment. And I can imagine that in that environment, you grow up very quickly. I know that you started, well, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, my grandmother was hell-bent on protecting me from all of the seediness that she didn't want, because she said, you know, my daughter ended up there and this, you know, your mother and your, and you are not, if it's the last thing I do, you know, you, you will not ever enter one of those places and go. So she really kept me secluded. I mean, she really did keep me out of that whole environment. Um, you know, I, it's, you know, except the, the walks around the area. And I mean, we lived there, so it was nice, but she really, I mean, until the time I left home, I left home quite early, but I was a teenager and um, she really kept me on a, on a leash, you know, she didn't want me to get into any trouble at all. <laughs> so. you, you mentioned Elvis Presley and, uh, and also Schlager music. I don't know who that might have been, Mariana Rosenberg or. Yes, uh, also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, these are real voices. These are incredible voices. So was, was it that that appealed to you about, about the people that they were listening to at that time? And when did your musical tastes start to diverge from theirs? I think, I mean, in Schlager music, you had a, a, a huge amount of bad voices too, you know, uh, people, but, but it was about the songs. It was about a song structure, you know? It was about um, verse, bridge, chorus, 
you know, like a real proper songwriting thing. And I think that's what I learned from the radio and from the records, you know. And then, of course, if there was a, a great voice, even better, you know. Um, but I think I also learned just radio, radio songs, songwriting, you know. And then, um, and I, I think it was when, you know, I heard, when I had grown up just a little bit, you know, um, Elton John, people like that, that's when I really got into voices because I, I, his, his earlier music, you know, his voice is just incredible. And um, so I, that's when I really became aware, you know, of uh, what people put across in, in their voice. When did you realize that you had a voice? I sang from, from lit, it sounds really weird, but from when I was born, of course, I didn't know I had a voice, you know, but my, my family told me later that I was actually sitting on my rocking horse age two and they were trying to get my attention, but I was like hum, humming and singing and I, they couldn't get my attention. So I was always singing by the age of five, I was making demo tapes. And I mean, they were children's songs, you know, they, they were nothing. But then sort of by age eight, nine, I was like, I was singing Schlager and I was singing whatever was in the charts. And, um, you know, and I can't remember. Yeah, and the hit parade, we had this program, which you might know the hit parade uh, on television. So I would, you know, every song I would sing, I would record, I, you know, I would say to my grandmother here, send that off to my favorite singer, you know, find out her address, you know. So I was really becoming um, not so much aware, because, you know, I had no, I don't think my voice would have had a lot of character then, you know, but um, I just knew I wanted to sing and that's all I was interest, ever interested in, you know. And then, you know, one day there was a family celebration and all the family were there and there were like 50, 60 people there. And then someone said, and I said, oh, I'll go up on stage. And I, I was, I think I was 10. It's my first time on the stage. And I remember fainting, like almost, you know, like, because I realized something was happening here that I had no, and then I just sang some Schlager and, um, and, and, and everybody was applauding, saying, well, that was really good. And I, I, I seem to remember that incident. It must have meant something. You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. You mentioned that your grandmother, obviously the matriarch of the whole family, because she sounds like she was the, the, the strong dominant yeah. Uh, figure and yeah. also that the idea that you could be in television i.e follow your creative path was alien mm -hmm. to your family mm -hmm. so how did they react when you said and i know this comes a bit later but when you said okay i'm off to berlin yeah i actually i'm trying to remember because i i left home quite early and uh, moved in with my mother, which was weird. And then I sort of went between London and Berlin. I started going to London, kind of running away, you know, on the ferry from Hamburg, you know. Um, so, uh, so I'm trying to remember, I think I, 
I might have gone to London first, even for a short time, you know, and then I went back to finish school and then, you know, got went back again to London, went to, and then I think I then went to Berlin. Um, yeah, I, I, they did, I mean, my grandmother was very sad. She didn't like it, you know, um, but there was, I mean, nothing could stop me, you know. And also leaving your friends behind and realizing there's a big change happening. So what sort yeah. of Berlin did you enter into? Because this is Berlin pre-war. Uh, it's, it's an island, in a sense, mm. in East Germany, where you go through these corridors to get there. It's an mm. island full of people who were escaping, uh, having to go um, to the army, young yes. people, mainly. Yeah. And yeah. it was, you know, it was a vibrant, incredible city yeah. what what did you yeah. see it as when you got there yeah it was really nice because it was a time where it really didn't lag behind london in terms of being really really vibrant and interesting which now i mean you know or i think it was probably maybe even the one time where it was that it was insane it was an insane place um i don't know if you've seen mark reader's movie about you know, Berlin, you know, I mean, that was his experience. Mine was partly a little bit different, but it was, it was, there was that, and it was just nuts and everybody could do what they wanted. And because it wasn't about money, Berlin was about money. So in all the bars and clubs and venues and everywhere, you had just people from all walks of life. You had all the artists and you didn't have to have money or be famous, um, but they all came together. And that, that's the one main difference that, uh, you know, you could stand next to David Bowie or a, a, one of the, you know, famous German painters or uh, whatever artist, and you're a nobody, but you know them and you hang out with them, you know? So that was what made Berlin so incredible. Nobody gave a shit about money. Nobody yeah, I had about, I talked to Mark Reeder the other week and, yeah. uh, and I know him as well, but it's just so mm. fascinating talk because he mentioned all that that you're saying and also that we forget that uh, West Berlin was so small in comparison to what Berlin yeah. is today <laughs> and and this idea of bumping into people and also yes. that you didn't need much money to live yeah and everyone was looking for something to do in a sense so yeah. creatively yeah. so yeah. you could you could quickly meet and work with other people so yes. how did that show itself what happened to you I mean, you would literally, the most famous club was the jungle. Um, you would literally meet people there and they would say, hey, who are you? You know, you look interesting. So, you know, shall we uh, move in together or shall we, you know, do a project? I'm, I paint, you know, and I do this and I do that. I mean, that's how it would work, really, you know. And you made a lot of friends and, and people found you, you know, if you were, a hit on the dance floor, you know, people would find you incredibly interesting and you've become a bit of a local, you know. And I mean, I started singing in bands and, and we became a quite really well known overnight, like, you know, and then there were other bands um, and they were the same and, and we would compete, uh, there, you know, because it was such a small city in a way. Um, there was so much competition, but it was really healthy, you know. Um, so, yeah, and you could go, I mean, you know, you had all the, the bands performing locally. And that's what made it really exciting too, you know, um, and, and um, all the new wave groups and all that, you know. 
So, so how did Berlin affect your sort of musical knowledge and your musical experience and also then how you developed your voice? Yeah, I mean, Berlin just gave you permission, I think, you know, to, to explore because, you know, you could get rehearsal rooms cheaply. So I rented one, you know, and then you'd go in with people and, and, and you know, I did soul music, 60s garage music, psychedelic, you know, I try because there was a big 60s revival scene. Um, and then in the bedroom, we also did some, you know, Depeche Mode, Eurythmic type of stuff, very badly, and some really great, batshit, crazy electronic. I mean, literally just all happening, you know, at the same time. And then, and I was kind of figuring out, well, I don't know how my voice would fit into all that. Um, and um, one day I went to a record shop in uh, off just off the Kurfürstendamm in Berlin and I was going through 60s garage compilations um, to buy and the guy young really young guy who worked behind the counter his name is Zaid um, came up to me and said have you ever heard Martha Reeves or the Supremes have you ever heard soul music and I, I don't know why he did that there's no reason why you know and I said well no, yeah, no, not, you know, maybe not really, you know, and he said, you know what, I'm going to order you a couple of compilations and come back next week and pick them up. So he ordered um, Martha Reeves compilation and the Vandellas and uh, Supremes. And that changed everything. It changed. So I was I was messing around with all these different styles, you know. But tell and me, then, before you say what it changed, when you listen to that music and you listen to their voices, mm. what did you understand from that that you could take from that? That there was a different world out there um, where emotions come into play and emotions are the operating, you know, the, the operative system there. Um, it's all about feelings and emotions that I have not taken into account. Um, they were singing about everyday things too, but they were singing in, about them in a way that just went straight to the core of you, you know, and, and that was like, I mean, Martha Reeves, her earlier stuff has a really simple song, love, love, love makes you do foolish things, you know, but when she sings them, she puts it across, something whole, something bigger opened up, you know, and I mean, the production, the sounds, all of it, you know, it just went straight to your heart. And I went, oh God, how do I, so now I have that. And, and I want to, that's, that's me, this, this is it, you know. And uh, so I started practicing and rehearsing and then combining that with, you know, I would then sing gospel badly at that time over our bedroom electronic shit, you know, and, and also in the, in the 60s revival, you know, I was, and then I formed a soul band. So it was all, you know, and I, I just couldn't put, I couldn't, so produ music production and then my singing voice had to be somehow brought together. And I think to this day, I'm still trying and, and exploring. And there are songs that I sing where my voice just doesn't sound right. But because I've written the song, I like it, I'm going to sing it somehow, you know. So some songs work better than others, I think, you know. Um, some songs might be more successful in terms of the, the production and the way my voice sounds. 
you know so I mean, there's no recipe which i have you know that you know that you know when aretha franklin sang a song she made it all her own you know and and aretha always sounds like aretha but i i i don't have that gift i i tend to sound different all the time you know and there are songs sometimes that i sing where that is me what comes out is is sounds like the the ultimate me so there are songs like that but then there are other songs where that doesn't happen and i have to see how i make it work you know i mean so. those those bands in berlin were the subtones and billy in the deep i think that you were yes you were yeah. talking about um yeah. where you know when when you um sing someone else's song and i know this is early on in your career um mm. where was the moment and you sort of mentioned this a little bit, saying that you 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 don't always know if you transfer the emotion of the song, but you have to somehow find the emotion within you yeah. to be able, it might be another event that's happened in your life mm. to the event that the writer or the singer at first transported yeah. it. And you have to find that emotion and that event to be able to transport it. When when did you start understanding that mm. this was the power? of transporting a song? I th I'm trying to trying to remember, but I think I think when I when I sang with the subtones, I was only a guest singer there, you know, and with Billy and the Deep, I, I was really shouting, just shouting it out. And I still wasn't, you know what I mean, really exploring. I was just like whatever came out happened and that was that and then I moved on you know so it was just really funny um so but the process that I'm now like exactly how you describe you know that I'm now very aware of that might have happened around the time when I moved to London and we formed Electribe 101 because I remember hearing I mean, there were sort of events that, that sort of changed the way I was looking at singing. Um, and one was, um, we covered Inside Out by Odyssey, you know? And that was a song that back in Berlin as a kid, you know, I, I, I'd heard that on the radio. And it made me stop in my tracks because he was like a really soulful number, but the singers weren't shouting and they were, you know, there was this really low sung. Um, mel a very mellow delivery of, of, I didn't know who the singer was, you know, but that song just stuck in my head, you know, and then the other time that happened was again in Berlin, I was walk walking yet into yet another record shop, and uh, I'm going to tear your playhouse down by Anne Peebles was playing. And again, I just stood there. And they had the record cover up by the till, so I could see who it was. And I said, yeah, give, give me that, you know? And that, again, that changed everything because Anne Peebles always sort of, there's just this part of her which understates everything, you know, where she's not going for the high notes necessarily and she's not going. And that's when I realized there is, a, there is something here to be explored, you know? So where do I really fit in and why do these songs really appeal to me? I mean, I think there is a greater power in the understatement, which definitely mm -hmm. comes across in, in, in a lot of your work. Mm -hmm. um, and that is quite beautiful because it makes the song stronger in some way. Mm -hmm. um, how do you view this sort of understatement? Um, well, sometimes I think, oh God, here I go again, singing, singing a song in a lower octave. And, and I'm sure people out there want to hear me belt out a song, you know. Um, 
so sometimes I think like, oh, here we go again, totally under, under challenging as well for my voice, but I want to put the emotion across. So I make that choice that that's what matters, you know, the melody that I wrote and the emotion that I felt when I wrote the song, you know. And so I go for it and I'm like, oh God, here we go again, you know. So I'm, I'm really unsure of myself half the time, you know. And sometimes I notice that my voice really works. Like I said, you know, with, with a song, even if it's understated and other times I just think it's understated, you know. So it really varies. Now, you, you know, you were in Berlin, you were in these couple of bands and you were getting your first experience. And then you decide to go to London. What was that decision? Were you unhappy in Berlin or was it really, I want to experience something else now or I want to take my chance? Berlin started being very complacent. People started just hanging around and the heyday was over and gentrification slowly came in, you know? And, um, and I just said to my band members, I'm, I'm gonna go, you know, and, and uh, why don't you join me, you know? We, we see if we can, you know, so I'd made some effort to get us signed there and stuff, you know? So I'd be sending tapes to Rough, to rough Trade and all that, you know? So, so it was that, um, and also, you know, because I'd been, uh, traveling to London a couple of times just to hang around and see and and I knew it was my home I knew it was my second home or my first maybe even I just knew why because pe people were behaving I mean Germany Ger Germans are stuck up man and Hamburg is a very pe people are very sort of timid and 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 quite stuck up and I just knew as a teenager and as a child there has to be something else out there and then you go to London and you go to the marquee to see a band you know and everybody's celebrating and everybody's talking strangers talking to you I'd never experienced that I remember I started crying actually um because I knew that existed out there that people were being nice to you you know and people were into having a laugh and being less stuck up and you know and, and people just walking up to you because, you know, they might find you interesting and saying, do you want to drink? You know, that does not happen in Germany, at least not to me. So um, I knew I was going to go, but it was just about finishing school and doing some studies and, you know, and then going to London to be in a band or to form a band and, and to, because by that time, um, you know, you did have electronic music out there. And I thought, wow, you know, I, I want to be part of that. And then when I went, house music happened and bingo, <laughs> you know, that's what I wanted to put my voice on at the time. And the interview continues in part two, where we talk about Electribal Soul and hear about Billy Ray Martin's fascination with French music and films. Mm -hmm. 